turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. As we continue in this Advent season, we're working our way through the songs that are sung in these opening chapters of Luke. Uh, Luke, in the first two chapters, doesn't just unfold the narrative of Christ's birth, but he is showing over and over again how God is faithful to keep His promises. Uh, He's revealing over and over again how there was a remnant in Israel that was waiting patiently for the coming of the Messiah, looking for that coming and ready to break out into song whenever Christ came. Uh, And this morning, we're going to consider in particular... Uh, Simeon and Anna. Simeon has a song that he sings. We'll look at that. Anna, we don't have so much a song, but we are told of her being present there and how it is that she responded when she recognized the Messiah. And the two of these together are intended by Luke to be a testimony to the truth of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah that was promised. Uh, In this particular time and place, uh, the, the testimony of a woman was not considered to be valid. If you needed two witnesses to establish the truth of something, uh, the testimony had to come from two men. But already in the economy of Jesus Christ and in the Gospel of Luke, not only here, but at the end, we're going to see how God turns that economy upside down. In God's economy, there is value. And so we have these two uh, devout believers in Israel waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And when that Messiah comes, they recognize Him and rejoice. The context here for the text this morning will be in Luke 2, and we'll begin in verse 22 in just a minute. The context is that Christ, Jesus, is being brought into the temple according to the law of Moses. The law of Moses placed certain demands on a mother who's just given birth and upon the child that she's given birth to, particularly when that child is the first child born to that woman. And they are coming together, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, into the temple to keep this law. And it's in that context that they encounter Simeon uh, and then Anna. Both are characterized by their godliness and their waiting. Both gave glory to God, blessing Him and giving thanks that He had sent the Messiah. Let me pray for us and we'll read the text this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We rejoice that you are a God who keeps his promises. We know that we are a people in exile, a people who are in exodus and are waiting for the coming again of Jesus Christ. And so we pray that we would be found ready when Jesus Christ does indeed come again and all of your promises are finally fulfilled perfectly and forever. Father, do this in our hearts and our minds. For those who may not know Christ this morning, even as they are within hearing, of your word being read and preached, we pray that your spirit would bring them from death to life, that they would recognize the voice of their shepherd and follow him. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hear the reading of God's word, Luke 2, beginning in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
and he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we work through this text this morning, I want to encourage you to try and place yourself there in the temple, probably in the court of women, one of the outer courts of the temple, as Joseph and Mary bring the infant Christ up into the temple complex uh, this is, it's too easy, I think, for us through familiarity uh, and also through distance to read this text as a, a formalized sort of description. Uh, there's a deep tenderness and a profound comfort that is described here and on offer to God's people in these verses. And so we don't want to stand too far back from the text we want to, to close our eyes and imagine ourselves standing there as, uh, as Simeon, presumably an older man, since he was told he wouldn't die until he had seen this. And now, he says, he can depart in peace. Uh, Simeon, this older, devout man coming up to Joseph and Mary, taking Jesus and uh, probably, perhaps, holding him up as he sings aloud to God that he has kept his promises. Anna, who, if, if the text is to be understood rightly, uh, is probably over a hundred years old as she there in the temple recognizes the Messiah. Uh, Anna, we're not told, goes up to them, takes Christ, says anything to them. Anna sees them and seeing the Christ turns and begins to give thanks and to speak to those around her. So we're going to consider this morning the testimony of these two saints. Three things. First, waiting on the Lord is faith in action. Waiting on the Lord is faith in action. The second, the Lord never disappoints those who wait on His promises. The Lord never disappoints those who wait on His promises. And third, there is a proper response to the Lord's faithfulness. There's a proper response to the Lord's faithfulness. First, waiting on the Lord is faith in action. 
depending on your familiarity with the whole of Scripture, it may not be, uh, you, you may not be aware of the fact that this language of waiting is deeply rooted in Scripture. Uh, it's, it's not meant as a simple verb the way we might use it in casual conversation today. Waiting is the, the state of God's people throughout history. Simeon and Anna here are described as those who wait. Simeon, in verse 25, righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The, the, the verb of waiting is not used with Anna, but it's clear that she has been waiting. She did not depart from the temple, verse 37 says, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and she recognizes the Messiah as soon as his family comes into the temple complex. Anna is one who is waiting, and we know she's waiting, not only because she's ready, but because the text says in verse 38 that she begins to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Waiting on the Lord is the character of God's people. It is faith in action. It is no accident that Luke describes their character in the same breath that he describes their waiting. There is a, a connection between these two things. Simeon is not righteous and devout. Oh, and he also happens to be waiting on the Messiah to come. He is righteous and devout. And then that righteousness and devotion is put into action and expressed by this verb, waiting. How is he righteous and devout? He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. There's a lot bound up in this idea of waiting. Waiting on the Lord is not like waiting on the doctor to see you now. It's not like waiting in line at the DMV. Uh, circumstances where today we think of waiting, and we even call some of these, like at the doctor's office, it's the waiting room, right? Waiting is a place for us to get on our phones. Waiting is a place of boredom in which we are looking for something to entertain us. If you're particularly good and disciplined at waiting, you find some way to improve yourself. You're listening to podcasts, right, about important things, uh, or you're studying for something that you, you're going to be held accountable for, you want to grow in. Uh, a lot of us just play games on our phone, right? Uh, waiting in our culture today implies waste, uh, and it's an action that we perform acutely. That is, it's something you do for a discrete period of time, and then you move on, and you're not doing it anymore. But waiting, according to the people of God throughout the Old Testament and the New, waiting is a state of being, not a mere action in a moment. We are a waiting people. Waiting on the Lord is a hopeful and excited anticipation of the Lord keeping His promises. It's like waiting for Christmas Day so that presents can be opened. Uh, children, you'll know this one particularly well, whether you're homeschooled, private schooled, or public schooled, at some point, hopefully, uh, and hopefully it's already happened for you, school ends for the semester. Christmas break begins 
right? And you know what waiting is like there, don't you? Children, you've been busy in school studying. Some of you, I was talking to one of our families this morning, if you've got a seventh grader, your seventh grader was, was doing midterms for the first time this last week, right? There's so much work that goes into it, and it's work that needs to be done, and it's work that builds us up, but there is for you children an anticipation, a waiting, right? It's not a, a boring waiting. It's a very active and busy waiting. You're doing good things and growing and learning, but you are anticipating the moment that the bell rings and the day ends and the break has begun. Waiting on the Lord is not like waiting in line in some of these boring places, but instead it's like waiting for school to come to a close, for Christmas Day to arrive so that presents can be opened It's like waiting for the wedding day when the back doors of the church will open and the bride will be revealed to her husband. This is the waiting that we are engaged in, brothers and sisters. It is is faith in action. Waiting on the Lord is a manner of living, to use a more modern term. It's a lifestyle. All of the, the uh, I started to say magazines, nobody reads magazines anymore, all the websites, right? It's all about lifestyle, this lifestyle or that lifestyle, and how to lead this lifestyle or that. The lifestyle of the Christian in the world is one of waiting. And so what is waiting according to Scripture? What does it look like for us to wait as Christians? I want to encourage you to write these things down as we go. We're still under the first point. I want to be very clear, but I'm giving you a list. Okay, a person who is waiting upon the Lord knows the promises of God. Now, this is so important. So important, we know the promises of God. Look at what they're waiting for. We're not just told that Simeon and Anna and the crowd around Anna were waiting. We're told that they were waiting for something in particular. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Look at verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. When Anna turns around and begins to speak, pay close attention, she doesn't speak to everybody. She speaks to a particular class of people. Who does she speak to? Verse 38 And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. A person who is waiting upon the Lord knows the promises of God. We are waiting for the fulfillment of those promises. And listen, the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem were actions. They were events in history, but before they were ever events in history, they were a person. Jesus Christ, yes, His work, but before His work, His person, Jesus Christ is the consolation of Israel. Jesus Christ is the redemption of Jerusalem. We've been talking in Sunday school about this fact, right? That Israel, Jerusalem, these are words that stand in for. They make reference to God's people. Everyone who is waiting for Christ to come belongs to Israel, belongs to Jerusalem. 
And Jerusalem, Israel, the people of God, listen, we have a consolation. We have redemption. And it is Jesus Christ. I mean, the language is right here in the text. Look at Simeon again and at what Simeon says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The events haven't happened yet. Christ has not been crucified yet. Christ is not at the end of 33 years or so of perfect righteousness, which belongs to us. And yet, Simeon does not say of him, I have seen the one who will bring salvation. He says, my eyes have seen salvation. Jesus Christ is our salvation. And yes, his work, absolutely vital. But before the work is the person. There's a confidence in this. Salvation is as certain as Simeon holds this little one as it will be 33 years later when that little one rises from the dead. Jesus Christ is our consolation, our redemption, our salvation. A person who is waiting upon the Lord knows the promises of God. And this consolation, this salvation, this redemption, it is not just for the Jewish people. It is for anyone who will believe, and Simeon knows it. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Jesus Christ is for everyone who will believe and repent. A person who is waiting upon the Lord then knows the promises of God, knows the character of God. A person who is waiting on the Lord knows that the Lord is going to keep his promise. That the Lord has made promises to us and He will fulfill them. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. A person who is waiting upon the Lord knows the promises of God, knows the character of God, is living according to God's instruction, making ready for Christ's return. The the two people that we have here clearly portrayed in this way, right? Right? Simeon is, is every day, he's been promised, you will not die until you have seen the Lord's Messiah. And here he is in the temple. He is, he is preparing for, he knows who this Messiah will be. And in the power of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, he comes into the temple on this day of all days. Anna recognizes her Savior. And she doesn't just recognize her Savior, but she turns to speak to all of him who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She knows who he is. She knows what he will do. She knows the promises of God, and she is growing in the knowledge of those promises. Simeon described as righteous and devout. Anna as well in the temple, daily fasting and praying. They are a people of the book, and their hunger for God's word is never satisfied. They have food, as Christ will say of himself later, that no one else knows about. The character of God's people, a people who are waiting on the Lord, are a people who are hungry for his word. They want to know him, and they want to know how it is that he has called us to live, what it is that he has made us for They've not heard the promises once, got it, 
right? And they've, they've got that on a little card, and now they're, they're just waiting passively for the day that He will come and fulfill it. But between now and then, they are about His business, and they are growing in relationship with Him, and they're doing this in His Word and in prayer. This is how they know the promises of God. This is how they come to know those promises better. This is how they are reminded of those promises and of the character of the One who made them. A people who are waiting on the Lord are looking to Him for His coming. They're not in, uh, in any sense trying to predict the day that Christ will come, but they are living in the anticipation, the expectation that He is coming any day. And of course, this is how Scripture teaches us it will be when Christ comes again. They're looking for His coming. One who is waiting on the Lord in His promises is sustained by Christ in their waiting. I uh, was in a private school for a while uh, in upper elementary and middle school, and we had a theme song uh, that we sang at chapel every week, and it was Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord... Do you see this language in the Old Testament? I'm telling you, it's not new. It's throughout God's Word. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you see all the things we're talking about here with this waiting? Those who wait for the Lord renew their strength. All of the action words in this verse, there's no boredom, there's no passivity. They renew their strength, they mount up with wings, they run and they walk and are not tired. Listen, in waiting according to God's Word, God is feeding us, He's building us up, He's strengthening us, He's equipping us. That comes through waiting. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. One who waits for the Lord takes joy in the Lord, rejoicing in Him. I go to this text often. Um, I make no apology. Habakkuk is a fantastic book. It's spelled funny. It sounds funny. It's short, and the first time you read it, you'll have no idea what's going on. It is worth every minute you will give it. Uh, this, there's, there's several passages I want to quote quickly, but I want you to listen to how Habakkuk waits. First, he's told to wait. Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run, or may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. If it seems slow, wait for it. We go through the rest of the, the brief book of Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is crying out because of injustice in God's people. Uh, the, the princes and the priests and the prophets, no one will lead, no one will speak, no one will intercede as they should. And he cries out to the true prophet, priest, and king for relief, and the message he gets back is, I've heard you, I'm going to discipline my people. It's a terrifying description of what is going to happen to Judah. And in response, as we come to the end of the book, listen to what Habakkuk says. He says, I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver 
at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk understands something really important. And he expresses it in the the closing verses. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom. Though no fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Listen, the one who is waiting on the Lord rejoices in the Lord. We don't, one thing we don't anticipate is rejoicing in the Lord because we, we do it right now. Now, Habakkuk says, I will rejoice in the Lord. Now, the Lord is the joy of my salvation. Listen, brothers and sisters, waiting on the Lord is faith in action. <clears throat> How will we wait upon the Lord? How will our lives be changed because the Spirit lives in us and we we go to His Word and we go to Him in prayer? As we wait for the Lord, as Scripture describes waiting, how will God prepare us for the day that Christ returns? Second, this morning, the Lord never disappoints those who wait on His promises. Simeon says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Simeon was not disappointed. The consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem had been promised, and Simeon and Anna recognize God keeping his promise to those to whom he has made the promise. One scholar says Jesus, and it's, it's a simple statement, but it's, I think it captures well, Jesus fulfills the expectations of pious saints and prophets. That's what we see here in this text. Jesus' own presentation at the temple uh, being mentioned here is not insignificant. And I've got to cover this quickly. I wanted to go back into Exodus and read this, but I'll encourage you to do so. Exodus 13, 14 through 16. Exodus 13, 14 through 16, uh, the, the ten plagues in Egypt, the tenth resulting in the deliverance of God's people, that tenth plague has just taken place, and Moses interrupts the narrative here to say to the people of God, listen, we're free, we're getting up, we're leaving, it's time to go, but from now on, you will celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and this is how you're going to celebrate it. And he gives instructions. And there in that text, one of the instructions he gives, in fact, he opens and closes with this instruction that the firstborn of any animal or person in Israel is to be dedicated to the Lord. And there's a day coming when your son will say to you, what is this all about? Why why are we doing this whole dedicating the firstborn thing? I'm going to read it anyways. Exodus 13. This is what he says. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. 
For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. The very act of bringing Jesus into the temple on that day in obedience to this command is the ultimate sign of the true exodus of God's people out of slavery to sin. That exodus begins here. Jesus Christ is the firstborn. He's the firstborn son who is redeemed from the dead and in whom all the children of God are redeemed from the dead. It's only taken 1,400 years or so from the giving of this particular sign, this law that firstborns are to be handled this way, and the one firstborn that is anticipated by that law being brought into the temple and dedicated to the Lord. God's promises sometimes take time, and more time than we're used to. But listen, the Lord never disappoints those who wait upon His promises. We must know those promises. Simeon and Anna clearly knew them. We must not confuse what is promised too often. Listen, this is really important. People walk away from the faith because of this right here that I'm about to say. Too often, we mistake what we want or think we need for the promises of God. And when we do not get it, or we do not get it in the timing that we think it ought to be given, we question God's goodness, we question even His existence. Maybe He's not a God who keeps His promises. We avoid this by knowing what those promises are. What God has has promised, He will fulfill. If you need encouragement to believe the promises of God, I would encourage you to look to His Word. One of the things that I did this week, and I I didn't possibly, I'm already taking much too long this morning. Um, I'm going to take a few more minutes. Bear with me. I couldn't get all of this into the service. Listen, I want to encourage you. You do it online now. We used to do this with a book called a concordance. You can look up any word in the Bible and see all the places that that word happens. If you've never done this before, Go online and search the Bible for the word promise, and then just start in Genesis and walk through all of the occurrences of promise. There are a few random places where it's not talking about God. It is overwhelmingly talking about God, and over and over and over again, it's not just God saying, I promise. It's God saying, I promise, and I never break my promises. It's God making promises, and the Word telling us He fulfilled all of those promises. We hear that in Joshua. We hear it in Kings. Over and over again, God's people respond by saying, you have kept your promises, all of them, perfectly. What an encouragement to us as we work through God's Word, considering the promises He's made, His faithfulness to keep those promises. In Jeremiah 33, 14, we come to a place where God is speaking of Israel in the near future, but ultimately in the end when Christ comes both in His first and second comings. Listen to what Jeremiah the prophet says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. 
over and over again. God in His Word makes promises, encourages us in ensuring, telling us with certainty that He keeps His promises, and then keeping them all along the way as evidence to us that He is, in fact, a promise-keeping God. It may seem delayed. Remember the Habakkuk text that we, we read earlier God says it. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God's promises sometimes seem to be taking a long time, but be patient. Jesus Christ is coming again. We've noted it before, and it bears repeating. Our salvation is not the most important thing at stake in, the, in God's promises of salvation. I'm going to say that again, because if you haven't been with us to hear that, that may come as a surprise, or maybe you didn't quite pick up on it. Our salvation is not the most important thing at stake in the promises that God has made. The most important thing at stake in God's promises is His name. God's name, His reputation is at stake. God Himself tells us that. God assures us. He says to us, not only I have made promises, not only I will keep my promises, not only look back, haven't I always kept my promises? But He even says to us, listen, if I don't keep my promise, I am nothing. His very character is at stake, His reputation, if He will not keep his promises. And listen, it's even better than that, because before God made the promise of salvation to us, He made it to His Son, and He made it to us in His Son. If God does not save His people, He has not only disappointed us, not only lied to us, but He has lied to His Son. What are the chances? We serve a God who is perfect to keep His promises. The Lord never disappoints those who wait upon His promise. Third and finally this morning, there's a proper response to the Lord's faithfulness. It's a brief point. We'll be done in just a minute. There's a proper response to the Lord's faithfulness. Look at what Simeon does. It says in verse 28 that he took him, that is Christ, up in his arms and blessed God and said. And then he proclaims, presumably for all standing around to hear, that God has made promises to him and kept these promises, that this one in his arms is salvation. Anna, it says, began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. There is a proper response to the Lord's faithfulness. It is to bless the Lord, to give thanks to the Lord, to praise him, and to tell others that He is indeed a promise-keeping God. Like Anna, we should not only be looking upward and thanking God, but we should be looking around us and telling others about the fact that God made promises and has kept those promises in Jesus Christ. This is the proper response to the Lord's faithfulness. He has made promises. We are awaiting people. It's not a, an action verb. It is a lifestyle. As we wait, we grow closer to Christ. He makes us more and more ready. We lean deeper and deeper, harder and harder into the promises that He has made, and we live believing that those promises will be kept. And He never, ever disappoints 
anyone who is waiting on him to keep his promises. And our response to this great promise-keeping God is to give thanks, to praise him, and to tell others about him. Let's pray.